like this dress. I love it. It's just a bit fun, I think. Yeah. It's really stretching nice. comfy was more to the point. Is it stretchy? I like that the tights are darker than the shoes. Oh, do you like that? Yeah, do oh, you like that? A bit like, oh, God, does no, that I like work? that. Oh, that works. Okay, that's good. There's some fabulous outfits out tonight, aren't there? Yeah, I think we should maybe comment on that. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, which reveals everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and explains how to make it really work for you in your home. This is The Great Indoors Live! Whoa! Gosh, that was brilliant. So we are on tour in Ireland, in is doing me the world of good. I am now feeling like a proper rock star. All right, love. <laughs> Before Sophie starts stage diving, can I say that I'm also very excited in a much more restrained kind of way um, to be recording here tonight. This is our second live edition and it's such a treat and an honour to be in this great city. It's the first time I've ever been here and in front of such a lovely crowd. Special thanks to DFS who've brought us here and who very kindly sponsor this podcast. DFS offers exclusive ranges designed in collaboration with brands including French Connection, Jewels, House Beautiful and Country Living. So thanks so much to all of you in the audience for coming and to all you listeners for downloading, rating and reviewing and generally making me feel like a complete rock star. Please keep at it. And did you know, because I only found this out the other day, that uh, on Apple Podcasts, there are no limit to the number of times you can rate the show. So every time I go in, I give us a five star. <laughs> so tonight we are in the Dean Hotel. Fabulously chosen by our sponsors. So Beautiful, thank you, DFS, for sponsoring the, uh, the show and tonight and choosing this brilliant hotel. Because I think when you've got two kind of like design gurus like you and I, Kate, it's quite hard, isn't it? Are to we gurus? Oh, well, that's what I'm calling us. <laughs> and we're here in the uh, in the Dean Hotel in the centre of Dublin, and it's doing that kind of like gentleman's club vibe. We've got this very dark, lovely, inky grey blue on the walls, lots of panelling. It's the panelling I love. And yeah. this kind of lovely kind of chevron reclaimed floor. Yeah, it's. I'm Is that it. doing it's it cool. for you? Yeah. 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 And then we're on this lovely, squishy kind of velvet Chesterfield sofa, or as snug as you called it, because we are quite snug. On we are quite snug on this here. small sofa, and some quite industrial lighting too, which is beautiful. Yeah. That. No. So, so the scene has been set. Uh, so let's crack on. What are we talking about tonight? Well, funnily enough, we are going to talk first of all about using hotels as inspiration, which is something I always do, always partial to a restaurant loo. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we wanted to go into soft furnishings, which is sort of the fun bit, you know, when you move in somewhere and you've done the boring bit, like paying the bills or redoing the wiring, that sort of thing. Then you get we're to the soft talk furnishings. About we're going to talk about cushions. Cushion. my favourite subject. I know. <laughs> it could be a long episode. <laughs> and then we, in our How to Plan a Room series, we were going to tackle the dining room. And obviously, we'll have some design crimes. So get your thinking caps on, because we'll be coming to you for those. It's so lovely to have listeners here with us, given that we're going to tackle soft furnishing. I'd love to know what you think about a very contentious issue. Cushions on the bed. Can I get our imaginary clap on... What's Kate? Stop trying to... Sorry. Influence, I'm, influence the audience. I, mm. She was doing thumbs down there, everybody. Can <laughs> I get our imaginary clapometer and ask you to clap if you think cushions on the bed is a yay? Clap. 
today? <laughs> is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's park that one up for now and we'll come back to it, I'm sure. But for now, on to our first proper topic of the evening, hotel inspiration. Kate, as she said, generally gets a bit obsessed with hotel loos. Isn't that right? Have you already checked out the loos here, Kate? And what is it about hotel toilets and pub toilets anyway with you? Come on, share. Do you know why I like them? Because they're very often, it's such a small space, so you can be really bold with it. So, and I think it's a really good place to always go and check out the loos, any restaurant I go to, because you quite often find bright colours, interesting tiles, lots of pattern clashing or, or wallpaper. I mean, actually... Taking inspiration from hotel loos is great for your own homes in if you've got a downstairs loo or a small bathroom because you're not necessarily in there for very long or very often, so you can be really bold with the decoration. And often, I think, looking at hotel loos is a really good place to start. Well, I suppose, yeah, they tip. have to make a bit of an impression. I mean, I know whenever we, I go anywhere with my girlfriends, it's always like, oh, should we go and check out the loos? It's become like a bit of a destination. Absolutely. Usually the phone's out. It's all being Instagrammed. Everyone's doing always selfies always take my phone there. to the loo to have a look, <laughs> yeah. And you do, and it's, it's often a sort of precursor to stuff that's coming as well. You see colours that people perhaps haven't, you know, brought into their own home straight away and they're just, you can have a bit of an experiment. So the loo also, but actually in terms of hotels following on from the loo, bathrooms, actual bathrooms in hotel rooms, I always think are a really good place to look because they tend to be quite small. So you've got a lot going on in a small space. And given that we all live in small houses, I think certainly in the UK, we've got Speak the... Speak for yourself. I've got an absolutely... Yeah, she lives house. in a castle <laughs> in the country. The rest of us in small houses and new build houses, we are building the smallest houses in Europe. So you've got a lot to get into a small space. And actually going into a hotel, you have to see how they get a lot into a very small space in a bathroom. So there'll be a shower, maybe a bath... I often look at a bathroom and see in a hotel what they've got into that small space and then you can play with the colours. But it's a kind of layout thing, I think, is interesting. Yeah, so, the, so my room here at the Dean, it's, I thought it was right up your straza, actually. It's got the sort of white metro tiles with I the love dark a metro route, tile. Which, you know, but they've put some really nice sort of black trim stripes through it. It's kind of doing that slight New York look, I think. It's yeah. got the quite utilitarian style basin and black taps and black shower. That's I noticed the black taps, it? isn't it? Because I think bra, it is a classic. I mean, it's gone in and out. It was here in the 70s and now it's back again. But it's difficult, Brass, because I think it's still quite expensive. And you have to kind of have the whole thing. I don't think you can mix brass and chrome. No, so you, you have you can't just buy a beautiful tap. You've got to find the the blue flush and the mm. pop-up waste, and that's quite difficult. But if you want to have black, you can mix that with the chrome you've already got. So it's much, much easier, easier to do. It's more practical. And it's actually it's actually coming through quite fast now, isn't it? I know a lot of the yeah. DIY sheds are doing the black, like you yeah. say, making it more affordable. So that's what they're doing here. And then I think generally the ethos of this hotel is that slightly upmarket, cool, trendy, urban gentleman's club thing. Like I said, there's lots of... Georgian styling here with the panelling, so it's quite grand. But then there's like really rustic scrub floors, slabs of marble, yeah. cement tiles. It's lots of natural materials, isn't it? Yeah, but, but it's mixed. It's lots of historic references, crittle doors. I think that's the difference that we've seen. I think someone said to me, this hotel, correct me, has been here for a couple of years now. A few years ago, it would have been 
more rough industrial, if you like, wouldn't it? Maybe would have had white walls and scuffed floors and the black touches, but now this idea of bringing in rich colour yeah. and it's a bit more luxurious. So it's kind of in industrial luxe. Is that the yeah, new term? Yeah, industrial luxe. And I lo I'm loving the fact that it feels very dark and cosy. It was an absolute nightmare to put my makeup on before coming here. <laughs> <laughs> my room is so dark. But it's all that dark, clubby, moody lighting yeah. everywhere. And quite mid-century furniture as well. Yeah. And quite bold colour combinations. So in the rooms, which I, well, my room, I think, is painted this lovely sort of soft, is it an Air Force blue or grey-blue yeah, colour? it's very, very dark, isn't it? It's quite it? a dark, rich colour, but there are orange chairs mm, in my nice. room. So that's a really nice colour combination. You're very happy here, aren't you? It's, I am I know, I'm quite happy really, here. Yeah. <laughs> You're your boxes. It also reminds me quite a lot of those sort of Soho house group hotels. It's got this that kind of vibe, field, yeah. Which has been so massively popular, hasn't it? I mean, I first... Went to Babington House. I think that was one of the... Well, Soho House was I've obviously... Never been. In Soho. That yeah. was the original. And then there's the Babington House down in Somerset. And then I was lucky enough years ago to go to the one in New York. But it was lovely because every time you go to a Soho House hotel, you feel like you're in a club. And that was the idea they were trying to create is feeling like you're in this private members club. But the look has just... It's just... It's hanging around. Like, it's, yeah, it's just not, not going, going out of fashion. And yeah. I read um, in Grazia magazine, funnily enough, today on the plane. That's a class. You were on the plane for a while, to I was be on fair. The, yeah, Grazia yeah. didn't last five hours, sadly. But one thing I picked <laughs> up on was uh, Meghan Markle and Harry have just had their house designed by Vicky Charles, who was with the Soho House Group for a very she long was time. head of design. Around. And I think, famously, she started as a waitress at Soho House oh, and then she well? was it was the classic American dream she's obviously not American but she worked her way up and I think she trained with Ilsa Crawford who's one of my design the heroes original, yes. the original designer there um, and then she became head of design and she did Soho Farmhouse and lots of the other global ones there's Miami isn't there yeah. and obviously there's Shoreditch and now she's set up on her own with her partner who's James Corden's wife Ooh, Julia, get you with yeah. the gossip, with the Hollywood gossip. And they are, they've done the Clooney's house, by all accounts. Wow. Yes. But it is still using that Soho house group aesthetic, which is kind yeah. of like posh country house hotel. It's posh country. Twist, it's it? quite cluttered, though. Some people don't like it because there's too much going on. This is a little bit more pared back in here. Right. Yeah, it feels a bit more like urban. More, yeah. And then I was just trying to think of hotels that have inspired me over the years, and I was thinking just one of my all-time favourites, and I've never been there. I feel like I'm, I've got to put it on the bucket list. It's like the Beverly Hills with that really classic kind of candy pinks and that crazy banana. I've been. Have you been? <laughs> I, God, I, um, I love it. Yeah, I haven't stayed. And I was in LA for a very short period of time, so I rushed in. I was too early to go to the sort of iconic swimming pool with all the pink umbrellas. So I rushed in and had a very expensive, very indifferent cup of coffee, um, <laughs> took a photograph by the door and rushed out again. Oh, but wow. I did see the, the banana tropical wallpaper, and that wallpaper is now everywhere. Well, that's like, you know, that was put up in the 1940s. Yeah. So, you know, that's been inspiring interior design for... Was and it's massive years? now. And also pink and green. Yeah. May have just painted my bedroom and pink and green. And all those sort of like, yeah, the bold stripes and stuff. Yeah, I just love it. So I think it's really interesting to, you know, we're all, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about where do we find inspiration for an interior design, but they're right up there for me, hotels, yeah. whether you get to visit them or not. And that's always the first place I look, even if it's just on Google, hotel 
rooms to just, you know, because you can't always visit them, but just to have a look at colours. And new hotels specifically will quite often be ahead in terms of the design. So you can see if a new hotel opens, what it's doing, that will be coming, filtering down to houses a year or two later. So it's quite a good idea. To spot good the trends. To, yeah, to see what's coming. And I think as well, when you're booking a hotel, I mean, I go straight to the room images. Yeah, absolutely. Probably before I've looked at availability or the cost. It's just like, <laughs> what do the rooms look like? So coming up shortly, we're going to talk about soft furnishings and, of course, the guilty pleasure that is design crimes. So listeners, do keep sending them in and any other comments and queries about the show. And after the last edition, where Kate tried to ban white paint... It's not strictly <laughs> true. I've, got, I've been inundated by people completely confused on that one. Yeah. Uh, particularly on woodwork, like skirting and doors. A listener got in touch to say, what colour should I paint the woodwork if the walls are brick? So what do you say to that? If you've got stone walls or if you're in a stone cottage or bare brick walls... Black. Oh, no, really? I'm going to... Well, you know what I'm going to say? It depends on what your furniture is in the room, but I would definitely not have them pale if you had brick walls. So pick a colour out of the furniture. I mean, no, probably, probably not black. You're thinking more of like a dark navy grey. Navy blue. Oh, yeah, navy blue. There you go. Nice. Or I was thinking of maybe... Grey. I've, I've killed grey as well. I've banned white and I've killed grey. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're going with navy blue. OK, well, I'm happy with that. What Let's else go with is that. left? Or I would go for maybe like a stone colour. I was thinking if you've got like a Cotswold stone wall or something like that, you could pick out one of those deeper stony colours. Yeah. Just again, so that the skirting's not popping out and jumping. It's all about blend away, blend away. Yeah. Or paint it navy and pop it out. And contrast. And contrast. So there you go. Can I just point out that these skirting boards, it's very Georgian, are not white. They match the wall. That's what the Georgians yeah, did. Well, they're all there they painted in, all it? the woodwork, the doors, the windows, and the skirting boards. They're all clever, out. those Georgians. Yeah. Uh, but I was looking that up the other day, and I don't think actually they'd invented white paint. I think that Ooh. was, they couldn't get the kind of bright white. I think that came later. So that was partly why they didn't do it. So there you have it. We're all over social media, but particularly on Instagram, where I'm mad about the house and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors. So Kate, soft furnishings or FF&E as it's called in the trade. I beg your pardon? Fabrics, furnishings and equipment. <laughs> equipment <laughs> i don't know all the other bits it's I all thought, the nice fluffy bits isn't i it? thought it was called look and feel look and feel, well whichever way you want to call it but we're talking cushions curtains upholstery that's all your thing it, isn't it yeah is it, really can i own the whole thing i really yeah, go love on to own it. this is the sort of thing that um for me i think really brings a scheme alive because i'm a massive fabrics person i love clashing pattern mixing color mixing texture i have got a complete cushion problem if there was the equivalent of aa for people with too many cushions <laughs> i would be signing up for it i think at last count i had nine scatters on my sofa where do you sit actually do you know what look i mean look we've got quite a few here look one two three four. there are five cushions on this snug this is a very look, big i'm going to demonstrate to you why i love cushions so much so like oh, right i'm watching my live set, demo watching right. my book set yeah and i am like perfectly Support it and love that one as well. Oh my god! <laughs> this is no, this is right, what I'm Friday night. So I, I have my your poor husband. husband. No, he love it. He's the same. He's down that end with all of his cushions, and we are completely beautifully supported oh. by our He's... sea of cushions underneath the head, underneath I can't the shoulders. Then the dog, she's got hers as well in the middle. Well, we all have a purpose. We're the opposite. I think we have regimented. 
three cushions on the sofa. Oh, no, and God, I, I, I got some little ones and I put them on. So we had three big ones and sort of a couple of smaller ones in front. And I thought it looked really nice. And my husband walked in and went, bloody Instagram, and took them off. <laughs> um, well, it so can not... be quite a man thing. Is there anybody here who really hates cushions and would kick them off the sofa? Oh, oh there, well done. Oh, oh, I got one lonely hand. Oh, brilliant. I'm preaching to the converted. That makes me feel a lot more comfortable. But you know what you need to tell us, because I get asked this a lot, and I think it particularly relates to cushions, is how do you mix them? I mean, these ones on this sofa we're sitting on are all plain colours with maybe contrasting piping. But mm -hmm. people often either collect them. So, I mean, you don't want them all matching, really. No, so, so there's two ways to go, isn't there? You can do a coordinated look if you're that way inclined. Um, could you say that any more disparagingly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if that's your thing. <laughs> and then you would be looking at probably... So, for example, if you're using a tonal colour palette, I mean, even neutral, total colour palette. Grey? Yeah, well, 50 shades of grey, something like that. Um, then you would, you could mix your patterns that way. And actually, by just having one or a very limited colour palette, it makes it very easy to mix pattern. And sometimes you need to, to bring the interest. Otherwise, you'd be looking to really ramp up the texture. So you'd be wanting to make sure you've got velvet and linen and cotton and silk and lots of lovely different textures in order to create the interest. Otherwise, it'll look really flat and boring. So that's if you're in your neutral zone or if you just like a nice, soft, tonal colour palette. Um, but moving, moving come to Sophie's house. Moving swiftly onwards, um, I like a complete riot on my sofa. <laughs> the more clashing, the more bashing going on, the better. And I don't buy all my cushions in one go. I collect them. Some come, some go. I'm very fluid <laughs> in my cushion <laughs> collection. <laughs> uh, I've had to stop myself going to TK Maxx because I can't help myself in there because I've always got really good ones. So that way, I think you, you can start mixing different patterns. By that, I mean you can have florals and stripes and geometrics. I have all the different patterns. I think it works if you use different scale. So some nice yeah, different sizes big is a really blousy good. florals with some little gingham checks or, or little tight geometrics. So think about different scales, always works well. I don't think there's any limit to how many patterns you can have, but I'd say three in a minimum if you're going for this look. And there is one little tip to stop it just looking completely like you've just walked into a Sue Ryder charity shop, <laughs> is to have a bit of a cohesive colour palette going on. So it might be you have one hero fabric, for example, which might be like a fabulous chintz or something like that. <laughs> Where have I heard this chintz? <laughs> the blood right draining from your face. Um, and that might have all your colours in there, and then you can extrapolate those out to mix with the other patterns, just so that they do pull together. So that helps. Well, I might like to do it the other way because I like things to be slightly more unexpected. So I might go for a really bold patterned sofa and have plain cushions plain dark cushions to bring it down. There's another trick as well, again, if you're in a small space, is if you have your sofa matching the colour of the wall behind you, yeah, nice. that can make the space feel a bit bigger. I'm all for patterned sofas though at the moment, and I think in terms of a trend, we are going to be seeing loads more bold, floral, jazzy, printed sofas and you can either be like me and then pile more pattern on top of that or like Kate like you say and add the plane um, another way of doing it if you find a pattern sofa too much of an investment is to go for 
patterned upholstered footstool. You see, again, I always You've got that as well. I, but yes, <laughs> I do. I like a footstool, a upholstered footstool rather than a coffee table because for me, it's an opportunity to get another pattern in the room <laughs> and another pop of colour. Um, so I have an upholstered footstool and then I use a large tray or a pile of coffee table books to create my surfaces to put drinks or mugs of tea on or whatever to make it a bit more practical. So yeah, so you can get sofa, footstool, cushions. Where else can we get our fabrics in the room? Windows. Yeah. But I'm, I like this window treatment in this room we're in, which I like a blind. This is and a very I think tailored it's very, Roman blind. They're Roman blinds and you can always put stripes with florals, I think. Oh, and it looks nice. great. So if you've got lots of pattern cushions and or a pattern sofa with plain cushions, you can bring stripes in on the windows. I mean, you've got stripes on your windows. Yes. But they're curtains, not blinds. Yes, yes. Well, I, I really love a Roman blind. I have to say that's probably one of my favourite window treatments. One of the reasons why is because you don't need a lot of fabric. So I tend to go, you know, if you've fallen in love with that amazing Pierre Frey fabric or something that's just, like, eye-wateringly expensive, you could either make a cushion out of it, because obviously <laughs> some of it is so expensive, or, you know, sometimes you only need to buy a metre, and you can create a really amazing Roman blind, whereas if you were going to create curtains out of that fabric, you'd be into telephone numbers before oh, you knew be so it. Expensive. It would be so expensive. Because if you're doing curtains, you have to do them generously. Yeah, you do. That's the key to a curtain. It, it, you've got to have enough material in it to make it look generous. So quite often blinds is a good idea. Yeah, so I, I tend to use my really luxy designer fabrics as a blind. And then in my house, I've got three windows, all quite, because I did tell you I've got a very large house. Did I tell you that, Kate? Did, did you mention that, yes. My really large house, my really <laughs> large living room. The windows are massive. So I actually ended up buying some ready-made from Habitat in the sale. And I sewed two pairs together to yeah, get the Yeah, that's width. a good idea. And they sold them at eyelets. Personally, I think eyelet curtains are just... That's the mm, round metal hole the round that metal goes hole on that you, a... Pole. Yeah, and there's two now reasons made I don't like gestures. them. Uh, yes, yeah, so I don't like eyelets because they just look a bit too contemporary for the style of my house, but also I find them really awkward to draw. Yes, <laughs> they, they never quite run. They get well stuck, get don't stuck. they? It's really yeah. frustrating. Anyway, so cheap ready-mades from Habitat in the sale, two pairs to make a, one pair of really wide ones, drop them off at the seamstress, cut off the eyelets, put in a pencil pleat. It was so cheap to yeah. do. And then I can spend the money on my cushions and my designer fabrics. Well, and room. the other thing is, if you because there are so many ready-made curtains around now, all the chain stores will do ready-made curtains. And that's just a really good idea. Buy an extra pair and sew them together. And also the material, because my granny said to me, you must never, ever buy velvet curtains because they will never wear out and you will never have an excuse to buy new ones. <laughs> so cheap curtains all the way and then you can change them when you're bored. And then also th another thing, thinking about um, curtains, is you can get some really great second-hand curtains, especially if you're going oh, That's in, a good idea. Yeah, there's some really good online shops or shops, that I'm sure Dublin will have somewhere, a second-hand soft furnishing shop. Because I just think, it, you know, lovely, interlined, beautifully made curtains, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. One last point on curtains is, wherever possible, full length. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it? Don't even start me on that. You can't... <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Did you say how long this point could be? You cannot <laughs> stop the curtains above the radiator. It just looks awful. And I know you've all got radiators under the window. We all have. 
you've got to have the curtains down to the floor. Yeah. So you had a tip for that. Yes. Which was... Put a, put a blind with them. Put a blind so that when the radiators are on, maybe just close the blind. And then when the room is warm, close the curtains over the top. But actually, you don't need to have radiators under windows anymore. No, you totally um, don't. But it's quite often where they end up, isn't it, frustratingly? Yeah. And the reason for having uh, long curtains is they look more elegant. They yeah. make a room look more furnished. They make a room look like you haven't run out of money. <laughs> Key. And but they also make this, the room look taller because they, you're lengthening the wall because you've got material going all the way up. If you can't have curtains, then just have Roman blinds instead. I like blinds. It's much less fussy anyway, I think. There we go. I've banned curtains as well. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. <laughs> So now we're coming up to our next topic in our how to plan a room. We can talk about the dining room. Now, not everybody has a dining room, though, so is this a fair comment to make? Are we talking think... about the room, the part of the kitchen you eat in? Well, I, I, first of all, I'd like to... Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Who here has a formal dining room? Let's have a raise of hands. Like a dining room separate from the kitchen that you just use for Christmas and Easter. It's like one person in yes. the whole room. Isn't that telling? Yeah. And interestingly, Mary Berry, um, she was at some literary festival or something the other day, and she caused a right hoo-ha because she said she'd foregone her dining room and, was, and she'd knocked a wall down and was adding it on into the kitchen. And it was kind of like the death knell for dining rooms. <laughs> if Mary Berry no longer has a dining room and says that they're pointless... So I it, think a lot of people have probably done that space-wise. So you've either changed your dining room into something else or you've just knocked the wall down and made it part of the kitchen. I'm just going to kick off with pretending that the wall's still there because that's the situation in my own house. I'm not in a position architecturally to be able to knock the wall down from our kitchen to the dining room just because there's massive, massive chimney breast in between the two. And actually, I've converted the dining room into my office because I've decided to bring my office away from Brighton back home. It's a really lovely room, gorgeous views onto the garden. But we still do need a dining room for Christmas and times when we need lots of people around the table. So I've created a space, I'm still finishing off, we're in the middle of designing it, where the dining table is my desk, which is fab because it's really Massive, big and yeah. I can get all my mood boarding fabrics, wonderful swatches and everything out all over it. It's a brilliant sized table. But then obviously as well, because I'm an interior designer, I have loads of stuff. You'd loads have of loads stuff, of stuff, like, whatever well, you were doing. No, that's true. You're <laughs> Justifying it, yeah. justifying why I need to have loads of stuff. So I've created some fitted storage. I've got a joiner in to make the most of the space. And I've got cupboards to put all my box files, my pen pots and my scissors and pens and all the things so I don't have to look at them. And then lots of drawers. As we talked about in the last episode, drawers are so much more space efficient in terms of storage than cupboards. So I can hide everything away. So I can easily flip my office into a dining room, it can be multi-purpose. So that's what I've done with my dining room. I've, because I don't live in such a big house as her. <laughs> um, I've got a kitchen diner, which I'm guessing is what most of you have. But what I've done there, the key then is to zone it so it's separate from the kitchen. So it must be on different lights. And that goes actually whether it's kitchen diner or dining room. You need to have lights on a dimmer or some different form of lighting. So we can in our kitchen, 
turn all the lights off in the kitchen bit and not see the washing up and just be in the oh, dining bit. Oh, that's good. Bit. So you just flood the kitchen into darkness. Yes, so you can't and then see just the sit in that one that part of the room. So that, I think, is really key to making it feel different. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, we're talking about lighting on dimmers, on different circuits. Um, I always personally love to have a whopping great big pendant light nice and low over a dining table. I just like the way that looks. See, we don't have the ceiling height for that because our dining bit was in an extension. And uh, when we applied for planning permission, they said, oh, absolutely, yes, that you, you can go up tall. You can't go any wider and you can't go any further back, but you can go up. And I said, well, that's brilliant, isn't it? Because if I go up any higher, my son won't have a bedroom window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so annoying. we have, I think, the Quite ceiling is the ceiling. minimum height, which I think is 2 metres 20, right. which is your kind of standard modern building height. And for us, that meant there wasn't room for a pendant light. So we've got wall lights. Oh, yes, I was going to say. Which is the other way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, wall lights. Yeah. But what I did, because we were just building a sort of modern box extension on the back, uh, we have a tin so ceiling. A, just, to, just to recap, you've got a Victorian terrace, a Victorian London With terrace. With a modern box on the back, which yep. is about three metres square. It's not very big. But because we couldn't add any interesting architectural features, I've got a tin tiled ceiling, which I just glued on with sort of no more nails or something. And that creates some interest on the ceiling and also actually reflects the light and bounces it around. Sometimes on a sunny day, it can look as if it's glass almost. But that looks um, amazing at night though. Yeah, too, it's right? nice with the wall lights shining up on it. So you have to think, if you haven't got ceiling height, think about other things you can do. Well, that sort of, that whole idea of using reflective surfaces, I think brings me on to thinking like how we decorate our dining spaces. And I've always thought like reflective wallpapers are always really nice. Again, especially if you've got the wall lights. Yes, or metallic lamps, wallpapers. Metallic and there's quite a lot of those yeah. around actually. But actually putting a metallic wallpaper on a ceiling, I well, love that idea. ceilings is the fifth wall. Mm. That's the new coming thing, isn't it? So yeah, that's a really good idea, metallic paper on the ceiling. Because again, I think whenever you're doing, you know, great interior design is always about how do you want the room to feel so you've got to really think about how you use your dining room when you use it and what you use it for if it's open plan to the kitchen you probably use it for breakfast lunch and dinner so that's a lot more challenging than a formal yes. dining room where that's the luxury of a separate dining room is you know you might not use it very often but you can be really quite dramatic with it because you're not going in there all the time or you're probably going in there I don't know maybe weekend lunches but it's mostly an evening room yeah. whereas mine is breakfast as well which i think is is most people just to canvas the audience in most people's dining spaces in their kitchen yeah, yeah, it's definitely the modern way, isn't it? But I do think you need to zone it if you can. So whether you paint that end of the room in a different colour to create a different feeling. Were you feature walling again, Kate? We're not. Fe I love that. Not feature walling. I said all the walls, <laughs> all the walls. Okay. Uh, all two of them in my case, because the back is a glass door. Or possibly have a rug under the table, which I know people think is horribly impractical. But if you have a multicoloured one, doesn't show. Oh food. my God, no! It's totally practical. Yeah. I think having a really deeply patterned rug under the table. It just. It's also if you've got a wood floor, it protects the floor from scratchy chairs. Like you said, it hides a multitude of sins. Yeah. But make sure it's big enough. You want it big enough to fit the What the you table need to on. roughly know is when you're sitting at the table, when you push a chair out from the table, it will take up about a metre. So when you're planning the size of your table for your space, you need to allow a good metre all the way around the edges for people to be able to stand up and push their chairs back. And actually, that probably won't allow someone to walk behind either. So as I say, our dining area is about three meters so by the time we've got the table and a chair either side that's the space so if everybody stood up at once 
for whatever random reason, no one else could walk around behind them. Um, so you need to be slightly aware of those measurements when you're planning the space. Yeah, and then that's a great opportunity to then look into the type of table that you have. I mean, it doesn't always have to be a rectangle. Sometimes a round table can suit a particular, I think especially in open plan spaces, I love to see a round table because it creates a lovely flow of traffic. Round tables are good if they've got one leg down the middle. The problem I have with square tables is there's too many legs that you get people's legs, chair legs, yeah. table legs, and it's quite so uncomfortable like a to sit. Tables. Yeah, it's always really practical. Yeah. And also, if you're looking for the table, don't have the table too wide. Sometimes you see these really wide tables and it's difficult for conversation. Actually, a narrow table allows you to talk more easily to the people or opposite even, you um, and next to you. sort of oval or oblong tables. Yeah, they're really hard to find over Really hard to yeah. find, but really, yeah. really, really lovely yeah. to sit around. Because again, you're not creating that heads of table thing. You're creating more of a round table, but it sort of works better yeah. in the space. I suppose, it, again, with our dining spaces, I've already said that mine doubles up as quite a serious office, but quite often in family homes, it's also a place for homework too. Mm. So, you know, again, it's like how hard we make our rooms work. It's somewhere to dine, it's open to the kitchen, but also we might need to think of an area to create a bit of a homework area or a bit of a home office area. So that's when we want to think about not just the table, but also establishing an area for there to be a desk or some stationary storage. Just a bit of storage or something, mm. isn't it? But that's why a sideboard, if you've got room for one, I haven't, but they're brilliant pieces because you can have one end with your drinks in it. And also you can have then ambient lighting because you can have a table lamp on them yeah. just to change it up from wall lights or overhead lights but you could also store the printer or filing cabinets so design crimes sophie's favorite part of the show <laughs> but where we alienate all the audience Aww. you've had plenty of time to think about it who's going to kick us off with a design crime don't be shy giant ceramic dogs or diamante panthers <gasps> I've never even seen a diamond. Where'd you get her? Can I just say, for the sake of the audience listening you, at home, there's a bit of a bust up in the audience now <laughs> because. The, the, lady, the lady sitting next to the one who suggested the Diamante Panther <laughs> has said she's got a Diamante Fox. So there'll be a short interval while we break them up. <laughs> Welcome to Dublin! <laughs> I tell you what, I quite like... I was going to say a diamond dog, but that's a David Bowie song, isn't it? Okay. Um, I quite like it. You know, I wouldn't be averse. I hope my husband's what, not listening. What, a Diamante Panther no, in the no, 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 not a Diamante Panther. <laughs> I've always quite fancied one of those giant tigers. <laughs> Giant China tiger. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a secret kitsch side. <gasps> yeah. It's a fine line. There's to a tread, fine isn't line, it? isn't there, between kitsch yeah. and sort tacky. of knowing kitsch and, and tacky and having do too much. Do you know where bit. I stand on this? I somehow feel like you've either got to do it like you're doing, where you've got this completely seamless, oh so chic and pared back and beautifully created home. Did I tell you how then, much I liked you? And oh, right. then you've got like yeah. a mad. Diamond dog. Or you've got to go completely yeah. Pat Butcher on the whole thing. <laughs> and just, do you know what I mean? I just think, no, this is, welcome. I just think you've this got to She's like, fallen off her chair. All so, I'm saying is if you've got a Diamante Fox, I hope you've got the whole menagerie to go with it because I think Elton John, you know, that's your design icon if you're going down that road. I think you've just got to make it really over the top and fabulous. Well, does anyone else dare tell us a design crime or suggest one? Any more? Oh, oh yes. yes. 
Okay, overhead light fixtures that are too small <gasps> for the room. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Like wearing tiny little earrings. Yes. <laughs> Looks awful. Yeah, no, that's yeah. absolutely a crime. And also, for me, when there isn't enough ceiling height and so they're too short, Mm. You know, that sort of lampshade on a tiny little stunted yeah, plastic yeah, flex yeah, yeah, yeah. is no good. Yeah, I think rule of thumb when you're buying pendant lighting, just go bigger than you dare and you'll never get it wrong. But you will get it wrong if it's too small. 100%. And if you haven't got enough room to have it in the middle of the room, and this is a, a real bugbear I have with central pendant lighting, is particularly in bedrooms, it always seems to just hang down and illuminate a random bit of floor at the end of the bed because, you know, it, it, it's not in the middle of the room, so it's serving no purpose at all. So what you can do then, if you could change the flex and hook it over, say, into the corner of the room and have it hanging down, and then almost it becomes a feature. It's like having a floor lamp, except you freed up the floor, and obviously the more floor space you see, the bigger the room looks. Offsetting into a corner can look really fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, I think it should just be like your jewellery, the bigger the better. That's always been my motto. Well, someone said that, you know, pendant lights are kind of like the earrings on an outfit. Yeah. So you can really go big and bold with it if, if you've got the space or move it into a corner. And just, they have to look good when they're off and on. That's yes. also sometimes things people forget. Yeah. Time for one more? Um, small rugs in the middle of a really <gasps> big room. Rug island. The rug that's too small for the space. I can't spare a rug island. Go on then, vent, because this is one of your biggest pet it's, hates, isn't it? It is my biggest pet hate, because it just, it doesn't pull the room together. You then end up with rug island, with little coffee table boat sailing away down <laughs> the middle of the <laughs> And that looks awful as well. It doesn't look joined together. It doesn't pull the room together. And also I think people then, they don't feel they can sort of walk into the room, because it's an island, so they're frightened to sort of step on the carpet and get anything. It makes them scared. So, yeah, that's a massive design crime. You've got to buy... <laughs> shall I stop? Um, <laughs> I just thought you were losing it a little bit. <laughs> you've got to buy the biggest rug you can afford and you've got to have, at the very least, the front legs of the furniture on it all the way round. And that works in an open-plan space and as well. And in a bedroom, it's lovely if you can get the bed on the rug. That yeah. looks great. And then the rug comes up round the side, so as you get out of bed, you can step onto the rug. Yeah. And it loops around the front too. It just yeah. pulls the room together, like you said. Because sometimes you see that just a little rug at the bottom of the bed. Another rug that, island. Well, that's really random. At least have it at the side where you might step on it. What are you doing <laughs> at the ends? That's a very strange thing. OK. We'll throw the floor to general questions. Let's have a little style surgery, shall we? Go on, then. Has anybody got any burning interior design questions, or any questions at all, for that matter, that they'd like to throw at Kate and I? Mostly about interiors, not <laughs> about... <laughs> What has been your design crime? <gasps> you first, you first, you first. She'll think about that. So will I. Design crimes or mistakes? Do you know, I do get asked this quite a lot and I never can think of anything. I'm sure we've done loads over the year. I mean, I, we've, I've had feature walls. Yeah, I've had I, busy yeah. curtains. We made a, quite a practical mistake in the bathroom where we didn't have room for a full-length bath in this bathroom, which is, I think, 1,700 long. So we've got a short bath, which is 1,500, which is basically a complete waste of time because it's too small. So it's just there to hang towels on and the occasional pair of jeans as you walk past. That aside, we got very excited when we went to buy it because he said, uh, the man selling us the bathroom was like, or oh, pop-up 
plug and we hadn't really sort of seen one of those before we were very excited and he said you can have it in the middle of the bath and we thought this is brilliant we're all very modern and very clever but when you sit in a small bath with a pop-up plug in the middle of the bath you fill the bath in you get you sit on the pop-up plug up it comes out goes the water <laughs> and there you are in an empty bath <laughs> So not so much a design crime, but a, a, a word of advice if you're buying. A, a purchasing mistake. A purchasing that was. mistake. I yeah. thought of one while you've been doing that, actually. And it's something that I've done recently in my own house. So A recent mistake? Yeah, it is. It is. We're renovating our house at the moment. It's been epic. There's not a room that hasn't been majorly tackled. We've, we've put underfloor heating throughout. We've put downproof core system, new kitchen, new staircase. Every wall's been decorated. Every surface has been painted, new flooring throughout. It's been epic. Now, my design crime, and this was out of vanity because I wanted to get it up on Instagram as quickly as possible, <laughs> was to actually decorate the hallway first. And my husband, who's a very experienced builder, said, you know, this is the last room you're supposed to do, so you need to do the hallway last because it'll get trashed by the time all the builders have moved through. No, 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 but I just really need to get some colour on the walls. I need a picture for the grid tomorrow. <laughs> and I did just really want to get some colour on the walls. I just really, really did. So we decorated it. And he's right, it's totally trash and needs to be decorating oh. already. And also beware, everybody talks about the, the joy and the beauty of these chalky finished paints, and they are... Fabulous, but God, they're touchy. Yeah, or rather, they don't touch them because they mark and you can't clean them. And actually, so in a hall or high traffic, you need something with a bit of sheen to it. Yeah. So you so can that's wipe my it down. Crime number two, then. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I'm going to get the coat. <laughs> and that will be the end of the Breaking Doors podcast, never to return. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Any more? Um, you mentioned that you put in underfloor heating in your your renovation. Um, do you put rug down on that? Yeah, so with underfloor heating, you the only thing you need to make sure is that you don't put down a rug that's too thick and insulating because what that can do if you've got wooden floors is it can cause the floor, the engineered board to delaminate or something. I think it's completely fine on a tiled floor. You can throw rugs on a tiled floor with underfloor heating, but it can be an issue if you're creating a um, like a blanket, if you like, and then the floor gets too hot. The other thing to bear in mind with rugs and underfloor heating is you're obviously insulating and, and reducing the effectiveness of the underfloor heating, if you like. So again, that's you're why... You're smothering I'd, it. You're smothering yeah. it. So that's why, again, I'd avoid very... You know, those, those like Moroccan Berber rugs that are really fashionable. I probably wouldn't use one of those with underfloor heating. It would stop the underfloor heating being so effective. But regular rugs are fine. That's a really good tip. Mm. Thin rugs. Thin, Thin rugs. cheap rugs. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've got one at the front. How do you stop the spare room becoming the junk room? <gasps> Someone please tell me answers on a postcard because my spare room is a complete... Discipline, discipline, discipline. The only way to stop it becoming a junk room is that it has to have a very clear purpose. I think it has to look nice, so you don't want to trash it. And I think you have to be very clear that you have somewhere else to dry the laundry, to store the suitcases, for the cat to sleep, and for those random bits of paper that you don't quite know what to do with, so you just put them in there on the way past and never to be seen again. I, it's discipline. Yeah. And I think part of the problem, the clue's in the name, it's the spare room. You know, if that was little Johnny's room, you wouldn't do that because someone would be in it. Yeah. And I think as soon as you have a spare room, you're opening it up to that. Don't know if that's a very helpful answer. I think it's just a sad, sad truth. It's sad truth, yeah. Hi. Mine's a mixture between interior design and marriage guidance question. <laughs> oh, the 
We get to lots of those. Yes. Yeah. How do you manipulate your partners into doing what you want to do, yes. not what they want to do, which is normally quite practical and not aesthetically pleasing? How do we get the other halves on board? Wine. Wine? <laughs> Wine and a promise of a cuddle. Do you not remember <laughs> at that last event, Marianne Schillingford, who's the creative director of Dulux, I think it was at the last DFS House of Colour event, actually, and Marianne is involved in inventing all the new Dulux colours and naming them. She lives and breathes colour. And somebody asked that question, uh, and she said that she sat... She always sat her husband down. She was very straight up with him. She cooked him a really good steak. Oh, yes, good steak, And opened a it? very good bottle of wine... And then when he was all sort of mellowed and fine, she'd Drunk. hit him with spiced honey, darling, <laughs> um, and, and it would be fine. <laughs> I think it's a fascinating topic. I do colour workshops for people to help them pull together schemes so they can decorate with confidence and hopefully colourfully. That's always my aim. And it is such a commonly asked question. And again, I'm not generalising because the dynamic, is, it's not always gender specific. It can sometimes flip the other way. But if you have a partner who's not on board, quite often they're afraid of how much it's costing. Yeah. Um, is it, are you going to go off it in 18 months and I'm going to have to do it all over again? Um, oh, you know, yellow sofa, really, what are the neighbours going to think? Or, you know, so they have all these, this fear and anxiety over decorating and that can really pull people back. So the process that I take the people through on my colour workshop is to basically be your own interior designer. And if you can create a cohesive vision and a reason for doing stuff, yeah. I think sometimes you can get the other half on board if you can say why you're going to do something. So rather than just going, oh, I've seen this fabulous panther covered in diamond, diamonds, I've got to have it. And it's like, what? Where is that coming from? If you can give them a, a, a vision for a whole room and a reason why it has to look a certain way and why the colours... Work. So, for absolutely example, right. I want this room to feel happy, uplifting, and sociable and fun. Therefore, a yellow sofa is going to be a really good choice for that. That can help. Just having a reason can really help bring people along also, that design I think, journey. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a sort of cliche give and take, but I think you have to give them a little bit in the room. So, what oh, do you yeah. need? Well, it's... Mm, it's dangerous. Well, you know, it's like when you're dealing with toddlers. You don't want to give them too many options about what they want for tea, <laughs> but you give them two or three options, all of which you've pre-vetted and pre-approved and know that you can live with, then you, the key is also to present them in reverse order, so the one you want least first, and then they might only remember the last one, but they then feel they've got ownership and they've had some control yeah. of it, and you're quite happy with that result because you knew you would go with yeah, it. Yeah, and I think, you know, in all seriousness, they do need to live there too, and I think it's good for everybody to be on board with a, yeah. with a project if they can be. Time for one more. Is there one more? Oh, yep. Uh, I'm just wondering, in a room, how do you decide which wall is going to be the feature wall? What makes Great it? Great question. Stand out. Great question. So first of all, you've got to decide why you're doing a feature wall. Because I would first of all say, sometimes a feature wall is a feature wall of fear. It's like, oh, I really love this deep blue colour. So I'll put it on one wall. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Maybe consider it could look awesome on all four walls. So I think that's the first question to ask. Why are you only doing one? If you're going for some really crazy mad jungle chintz wallpaper that quite frankly look insane on four walls then yeah you know maybe a feature wall is the wall is or the, just do the ceiling or just do the ceiling rather it, than a wall it's feature ceiling 
So I think questions to ask are, why a feature wall? If it is a feature wall, where do you want the focus in the room to be? Because wherever you put that colour or your print is what's going to draw the eye. So you've got to think of your room's best aspects, if you like. So typically in a bedroom, I always think that the wall behind the bed is quite a good place to draw the eye, frame the bed. Um, sometimes if you've got a big headboard as well, that can help like knock it back because you don't want it to be too dominant in the room. It can create, make the room feel quite disparate if it's just this one block of I colour. actually think a feature wall is the one that in the bedroom, it's the one room where it can work really well because it gives you a feature of focus when you come into the room but you don't see it when you're in bed, obviously, yeah. or, or, or asleep. So you don't get bored of it. It's not too much. I think, it, you know, the problem is you want something really mad and, and zany and then you don't want to look at it all the time. That's true, especially with the, with the pattern wallpaper thing. I think the other thing to think about, and this is where they can work quite well in open plan spaces, for example, a feature wall can kind of zone an area. So if you've got a big open plan kitchen, living, dining space with a little study area or a, a library nook in the corner. Sometimes just doing that in the colour can just say, right, this is a little separate, quiet, little zoned area away from the bigger area. So it's all to do with, I think the prop, feature walls have got a bad rap because they've been slapped around quite randomly. So I think they do require you to think, what am I trying to say? Where do I want the focus to be? Am I trying to zone a certain area off? What's the mood I'm trying to create? Once you've answered all those questions, hopefully by the end of it, you'll have you'll worked out where it needs to go and if you actually need it at all. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think in an open plan space, as Sophie was saying, to zone it, maybe not one wall, but maybe two. So you're creating a corner that has a purpose for working or for dining or that's your reading area or something. I think if it's just one feature wall in a sitting room, I struggle with that a bit more because it's usually the chimney breast. That's already got a feature on it. It's got a fireplace on it. So... Does it need anything else? And what I would do, if you do want to do that, rather than just do the chimney breast or just that one wall, I would then suggest you do the woodwork, do the skirting board to match. So then you're giving that feature wall a reason to be there because it's tied in, if you like, with the skirting board. And, you know, as we've said, it doesn't have to be white. It can be pink, it can be magenta, green, any colour you want. But take it round the edge of the room and up over the door, which may be opposite or to one side. And then you, it looks like you had a reason for doing it. I think the key to anything in interior design is it's got to look like you meant it and that you did it for a reason. OK, so our producer Kate is now making faces at us, so that probably means we need to stop here, although we could keep talking all night, couldn't we, particularly about feature walls. <laughs> so thank you so much to Kate Taylor, our producer, and, of course, to DFS for sponsoring the podcast. So for everyone else here, it's time to head to the bar. And for those... <laughs> we are in Dublin, aren't we? We are in Dublin. And for those listeners at home who are only here in spirit, this is us buying you a virtual drink to say thanks ever so much for joining us. And thank you, Dublin, and good night! Yeah!